evening is from Luke chapter 14, and we begin at verse 25, and it's on the screen. And we're dealing with the cost of being a disciple. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000. If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. And this is the word of the Lord. Well, I want to thank you so much for Robin. I want to thank you for a man who loves you with all his heart. A man who is totally dedicated to you, who wants to see people coming into your kingdom day by day. I ask you particularly to strengthen him this morning, since he feels a little weak this morning. Lord, strengthen him very especially. May your Holy Spirit anoint him and all that he says, so that your word will feed our hearts as well as our minds, for your dear namesake. Amen. Not quite sure why I'm standing here when we've got a man over here who's very nearly 100, or you must be nearly 100 if you married them 50 years ago. <laughs> you don't look it, if that's a help. But thank you for the privilege of standing here and being able to share something from God's word. The cost of being a disciple sounds pretty awful if you want to come to Christ. But in fact, it's just one of the things that have to be considered when we give our lives to him. Now, can you imagine this conversation in heaven? Son, I want you to go down to the earth, to live there, to preach, to heal, You will have much opposition so that you will have a cruel and painful death after which you will come alive and return to heaven again. Jesus, yes, Father, not my will but yours because I know that you love the world so much that you will give me to die so that all who believe 
will not perish, but have eternal life. Now, we don't know the exact conversation there was in heaven when Christ came to earth. And, of course, he came to birth with an extraordinary birth for a king and with a unique death by the fact that he rose again. He called his followers and he preached and he healed and, as predicted, he was despised and rejected by many and ultimately arrested cruelly treated and dying on a cross. Jesus went willing to that cross and he did it in love for the world. Not just people who go to church. He loved the world in all its darkness, all its irreligion, all its killings, all its hunger and its starvation. He loves the world. And he loved you and me. That, to me, is the great message this morning. Jesus gave his life, which he promises to us who believe. Wonderfully, over many millions, uh, many millions over the time, have given their lives to Christ, recognizing him as saviour of the world, and having received him in their lives, have committed all that they have to give to other people. And that's what this morning is about. And we're going to look at the commitment that it is to love Christ, the cost that it is, and the challenge that's there for those of us who love him. Jesus said, as you heard this morning when it was read by Andrew, that those who were following him ought to hear this, to be a disciple... This is what it means. Now, the word disciple in Greek, mathetes, means taught or trained one, or in Latin, discipuli, pupil. It's not quite what we really think of as followers of Christ today. It sounds today as if it's much more than that, and it may well be. But the New Testament further outlines what we're going to read about in a moment. That... To love Christ means much more than just simply coming to church or regularly worshipping somewhere else or doing good to others and so on. He wants us to be wholehearted and not half-hearted, wholehearted in our commitment to him. Such commitment is not unusual. And there are examples of this in many spheres Today we're celebrating a wedding which happened to have happened, I think, 50 years and a month away. It's roughly right, isn't it? And I'm sure on that day they said something like this, or maybe this is rather Anglican. I take you to have and hold from today, for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and cherish till death parts us. You said something like that, didn't you? And I know that we did as well. As some of you know, I was a police officer, and the first day we joined up in the Metropolitan, we had to be there at 10 in the morning, and there were 19 others. None of us knew each other. We were all dressed unusually, it seemed to me. We tried to put on our best clothes for some silly reason, which we had to straight away take off and put on a uniform 
which we had to start ironing in our underclothes because we'd lost our clothes. They were all sent off home. And that day we had to iron a uniform which was terribly creased. We had to polish boots. And then we were told we had to learn the first page of the instruction book. And this is roughly what it said. And I, if I had a good memory, I'd not read this, but the primary object of an efficient police is the prevention of crime. The next, that of detention and punishment of offenders if crime is committed. The, the efforts of all police must be directed in this way so that every member of the force must remember that whatever the cost is to themselves, it's their duty to protect and help members of the public. Now, that's two examples of commitment. And I guess that those in the medical service and in the forces and in so many other ways, they make some sort of commitment like that. It's a binding commitment, especially, of course, in marriage. But the greatest commitment is allegiance to Jesus Christ. In the previous service this morning, we commended Sarah, Sarah Farah, the lovely daughter of our young leader this morning, is, well, you might think it's funny, she's being called to go to Birmingham. Well, it's not quite that. She's going to Birmingham for preparation before going to Nepal. She's made a commitment to do it in her young life. Just as we who love Christ have made some sort of commitment to him, may it be wholehearted. But this rather interesting this morning, we are going to talk uh, uh, of a hyperbole. Our English master at school was an international runner, 10,000 meter runner, called Tim Sherwood. And because he was such an athlete, and those of us who loved athletics, we listened to every word he said, even though it was a boring English lesson. But he taught us about hyperbole. I'm sure you all know, do you not, what a hyperbole is? Well, someone's shaking your head. Just for you, dear lady, uh, a hyperbole is a statement exaggerated for effect. A statement exaggerated for effect. And Jesus used this method extensively. And here it is so stark. Listen, if anyone comes to me, we've read this this morning, and does not hate his family or even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now that is incredibly strong. Hate my family? Jesus is making a point that as a disciple, wholehearted allegiance must be to him. That's the commitment. But the hyperbole is this, because Jesus said elsewhere in the scriptures, you must love your mother and father, honor your mother and father, and even love your enemies. So what was he saying? Hate your parents, your brothers, your sisters? The hyperbole is this. He's actually saying, get your priorities right. Jesus needs to be number one in our life. And perhaps this translation in the Life Application Bible is the most helpful. Anyone who wants to be my follower must love me more than our family and even one's own life. Otherwise, we cannot be his disciple. So that's what the Lord Jesus, in our commitment, is seeking. 
that we give him first place in our life and in everything we do. Secondly, there's a cost. Well, we know about cost, do we not? There's a cost in practically everything in life. John, you'll remember this. When you used to live on your lovely salary, you suddenly got a wife and you got to pay for her and pay for the wedding, and, or perhaps the parents did that. There's a cost even in marriage, in running a house, in running a car. There's a cost in daily shopping and indeed in daily living. There's a cost which is quite legitimate, so that doesn't worry us. But to be a disciple, the cost is much more than money in our pocket. I believe that to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus means being honest with ourselves, accepting we have sin and confessing it, because Jesus is faithful and just and will forgive that sin and create new life in us. The cost is giving up what we have to him. There's nothing in scripture which promotes the feeling that all will be well when we trust Jesus. Isn't it amazing how American TV has in their preachers the prosperity gospel? Seriously, that is an absolute con. Those of you who read a decent newspaper like the Daily Telegraph will see the other day uh, an obituary, the wife of one of the preachers. And it was said in that obituary how well they lived. They only had 22 houses, some of which were in the United States and others around the world. And they had a private aircraft and two pilots working for them. The con seemed to be, give this money to us because that's your commitment as a Christian. But in fact, they use it for themselves, not for the gospel. Now, I'm only putting you off watching American TV. That's really what that's about. But Christianity, I have to say this, is not just all pie in the sky and a lovely life, living uh, a life of luxury. There is a cost to it. Following Jesus and being committed to him ensures our forgiveness and his presence now and in eternity, but it means a commitment completely to him. He's the rock in times of trouble. Christianity does not guarantee a release from the ills of this world, but it does give us the way to deal with them because he is our strength in us who believe there's a cost and there's a discipline. Recently, we've been watching the Olympic Games. Uh, well, some people have. I spoke to some lady the other day and I said, how marvelous it is to see the Olympic Games. Well, she said, as soon as I see the letter O, I switch it off because Olympic Games to her were nothing. Isn't that right? The Olympic Games consists of members of a team in so many sports who've given up their whole life to be fit for the, what they're going to do at the games. The athletes and the boxers and the taikai, whatever it's called in Japan, everything there, even golf, they have to practice and practice even to the point of, of disciplining themselves away from their families. Remember Mo Farah, when he won his third gold medal, he said, at last, I can go home 
and see my wife and family. That's the commitment which they make. Jesus is asking for no less. He's asking, this is the cost, our whole life. But listen here, the second hyperbole in this passage that uh, Andrew read. Jesus said, anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now that is an incredible cost. Bear in mind that Jesus hadn't up to then mentioned that he was going to die on a cross. But what an example, because the people of that day will have seen men and even women hanging on a cross on the side of the road for something that they had done or unjustly been accused of doing but sentenced to death. They would know the cruelty of a cross. And here's Jesus saying, anyone who does not carry his cross, as the criminals used to do on their way to being crucified, anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. This is just the second time that Jesus mentioned a cross. And both of the times, it's about discipleship. And ultimately, of course, he was the one who carried his cross to Calvary. So Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you have to count the cost. Jesus is saying, take up that cross. And that is commitment and wholehearted commitment. Libby and John, I know, to a point carried their cross when called to Cambodia. I mean, they said, not my will, but yours be done. This is what Sarah said in her trip to Nepal next month. Not my will, but yours be done. And I believe that the Lord Jesus was inferring something much deeper than maybe we've ever recognized. His way of warning any disciple what he would have to go through. We're very fortunate because we can look back and see what the cost was to the Lord Jesus. In today's parlance, I believe the best bosses, the best leaders, are those who are willing to stoop down and be amongst those who they're leading. As a young police officer, uh, fortunately, after only three and a half years, I was in Scotland Yard, but came across the sort of boss I would love to follow, because he was one of us. We used to have a superintendent when I'd reached another rank of inspector. And uh, he was one of those guys who loved to get you out of bed when you've been on night duty. We gave him a pretty awful name, I suppose. He was known as Shudders. He loved to ring you up at home when you'd been in bed for a couple of hours and call you in and stand in front of him while he read the occurrence book. And he'd say, you should have done this and you should have done that. And that's hence why he got this awful name of Shudders. And it said to me, Robin, never be a leader like that. In the last war, and of course it was only yesterday, 77 years since the last war started, we saw what it was to be an officer. Field Marshal Montgomery, and Alamein particularly, and through Normandy, and up through Belgium and Holland and Germany, led his troops on the ground. 
Those who went across in the boats on D-Day were rank and file together. I did say to myself, with the encouragement of um, other senior officers, to be like them. And I know the cost of that. I was involved, of course, with the IRA. Sorry, I wasn't with the IRA. I was against the IRA. But in those days, and in London, we had a 10-month uh, horrible time because I had said to myself, I ought to show my lads, if I'm going to ask them to go and deal with bombs, to do it myself. And the times I've stood there with a bomb in my hand, my heart pumping like mad, saying, is it right to be a boss doing this? But I only mention this because the supreme example of a leader is the Lord Jesus. He was the example. He was amongst us. He came to die amongst us. He showed us the way, and he's saying to us, I ain't going to have to endure this for you, this cross, so you must endure it for me, the cost of being a disciple. Well, thirdly, there's the challenge, and I'll be reasonably brief. Jesus said these wonderful things, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I have come to give you life, life to the full. And having said that, to live for Christ, we do so knowing his strength and his presence by the Holy Spirit. So we're not alone. The challenge is that whether we're willing to be seen as his disciple wherever we are. I think one or two of you might know this, but the other day or a little while ago, I was on the golf course and walking between the fifth green and the sixth tee, the fellow I was playing with said to me, what has Isaiah 53 got to do with Jesus? Now, when you're trying to think of getting the next shot as a par, you're actually trying to preach a sermon to the guy here. But it said to me, well, thank God, at least he knew who to ask. Wonderful opportunities there are if we're willing to take up the challenge. But you see, it doesn't end there. In our reading today, the challenge is there. Jesus gives two examples, two metaphors. First of all, a building project. And Paul, of course, used this himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, demanding dogged perseverance, continuing till the building is completed. So it's not a thing that we can retire from. It's a commitment, wholehearted commitment to the end. The other illustration is that the Christian faith is like a battle, again underlined by Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, a warring against the powers of evil. And like salt, we as Christians can preserve not only our faith, but we pray, influence others. It's when we've lost that savour that, as in Palestine, the salt, the tasteless salt is used as gravel. So the challenge is this. If we come to sincere faith in Christ, we accept that there's an essential commitment, which we've talked about, a real cost, recognizing the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and a life change for us, and the challenge that the commitment gives, living with his strength. We live with a relationship to Jesus Christ, not 
living by a set of rules. It's commitment to him and using that strength. He said, everything is possible for those who believe. He's able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power at work in us. And what is impossible with us is possible with God. Jesus is the way, he's the truth, he's the life. He's come to give us life to the full, a life even with its demands, giving fulfillment, a new outlook and a strength to live for him, the thrill of leading others to him and the promise of eternal life that death has no fears for us. So today is a day of rejoicing for Libby and for John. Congratulations. Welcome to the Over 50 Club. Recently, as I close with this, my wife and I were up at Keswick amongst 11,000 adults and 2,000 young people who met together, soaked up with the word of God and enjoying the fellowship and seeing the exhibitions where a number of missionary organizations in nearly every country of the world are at work. I only read this week of the 26,000 young people who've attended three locations of Soul Survivor and at least 1,500 have received Jesus as their savior and committed their lives to him. Commitment is part of the cost and part of the challenge. So this morning I ask you, where do we stand before him? Are we continuing in our faith, which we started some while away ago? Is anyone prepared this morning, who doesn't yet know Christ, to receive him who loved us and gave himself for us? Who, while on the cross, was able to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's prepared to forgive us. And we simply say to him, just as Libby and John said some while ago, not my will, but yours, Lord. And his will, I'm sure, is to enter our lives as our Saviour and Lord. Just as I am, says the hymn, you will receive and welcome and pardon, cleanse and relieve, because your promise, Lord, I believe, O Lamb of God, I come. Father, thank you this morning for our Saviour who loved us and gave himself for us. Help us, we pray, Lord, to consider where we stand before him so that our lives be, be enriched, may begin again perhaps in trusting him in wholehearted commitment. We ask it, Lord, for your sake. In Jesus' name, amen.